Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakya. If you've had a chance to listen to any of my recent podcast episodes, you know I like to cover lists and top fives and top tens as they pertain to back pain and spine care in general. And recently I did a top five list regarding non-disc related causes of low back pain and sciatica. Today I want to shift gears and we're going to cover a non-disc related cause of neck pain and radiating pain down the arm. Again, it's not exactly the low back, but spine care in general, pinched nerves in the neck are almost as common as they are in the low back. And today we're going to go over a condition called thoracic outlet syndrome. And I'm really delighted to do this in sort of a panel format. I'm going to have two guests that will help us with the discussion today. The first is Emily Tucker. And Emily is a nurse practitioner with Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine. She's been with our group for many years. She has a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Queens College, and from 2001 to 2003, she has an MSN and Family Nurse Practitioner from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She also is involved with youth softball. I was talked to her about her coaching, and she's very avid about that. And Emily is just a real top-notch nurse practitioner that's been helping out patients in the Charlotte community for almost two decades now, both on the surgical and non-surgical side. But for the purposes of today's talk, Emily's going to almost serve the role as a patient because she has gone through quite a significant experience with thoracic outlet syndrome and graciously has volunteered to share her story. And then our second guest is my close friend, Jay Marugaval, who's a physical therapist with Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates. Jay is probably one of the best physical therapists that I've known in terms of his knowledge of neuroanatomy, biomechanics, and understanding some of these very, very tough conditions. Jay graduated from the University of Bombay in 1991 with a graduate degree in physical therapy. He's a certified functional manual therapist from the Institute of Physical Art in Colorado. He's got extensive educational background in dry needling and myofascial therapy. He understands osteopathic approaches, different uh, manual approaches to spine care, and really I consider to be an expert in neuroanatomy. So my hope for today is to kind of cover this topic, thoracic outlet syndrome, from all angles, from a patient side, a clinical side, and a rehab side. So uh, Emily and Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lockyer. Absolutely. So let's get started. I want to kick it off, Emily. You went through, I think it's an understatement to say, an ordeal with thoracic outlet syndrome. And I thought your case in particular is quite unique in terms of how it turned out. So I want to open the floor up to you. If you you can share your experience with the listeners, first about kind of your initial symptoms, what the initial thoughts and diagnoses were, and then how you kind of came to a resolution. Sure. I'd love to talk about that. I actually want to back up just a little bit because my initial concerns were that I had a problem with my neck. 
And the reason I thought that was because 10 years ago, I had had two different surgeries by Dr. Adamson, and I had done incredibly well with both of those surgeries. And when I had those surgeries, I presented with both neck and arm pain, and I got complete relief of my symptoms immediately after my second surgery. And I had done great with my first surgery as well. They both were at different levels. And when I got complete relief of my neck pain and arm pain in the recovery room in 2010, it was a miracle because I had been plagued with severe neck pain for probably 10 years before that. And so when I had the what now was thoracic outlet syndrome, I honestly was blaming it all on my neck. And But the thing that was different was I didn't have any neck pain. And I just had this relentless arm pain. And I'd had it off and on for about five years. And I would always go back to Jay because Jay helped me immensely after my neck surgeries to help me get through the recovery and strengthen my arm. Because with the surgery, the pain was immediately better, but I still had some residual weakness that took a while to get better. But so I went back to Jay because Jay was always my uh, peace of mind when I felt discouraged about recurrent arm pain. And he was like, okay, we're going to get through this. And I always would. And then in the fall of 2018, I went back to Jay and I said, you know, Jay, this just feels different. There's something different about what's going on this time that I just can't wrap my head around. But I also went back to Dr. Adamson. He scanned my neck. Dr. Lockia did a EMG nerve conduction study to make sure that it wasn't coming from my neck. And I just still wasn't getting better. I also had the privilege of having an injection by Dr. Sumich, and I had had injections before and done amazing with those. And again, it just was relentless and not getting better to the point where I would literally have to pack my whole entire arm with ice bags just to drive down the road in the car to go to work. So one time when I went to Jay, it was actually, I had seen him earlier that week. And then on a Friday night, I emailed Jay and he got back to me, even though it was late. And I had been doing some research about what I was dealing with. And I told Jay, I said, I think I have thoracic outlet syndrome. And I said, and I told him, I think it might not just be the nerve. It might also be a blood vessel problem because I was having all this swelling in the front of my neck, but I still had no neck pain. And so he emailed me back and said, I think you're right. So that then proceeded me to get in touch with Dr. Bernard, who's one of our vascular neurosurgeons and a colleague of mine that I worked very closely with for years. And he emailed me back immediately and said, well, Dr. Vandeveer treats that condition. Why don't you go and see him? So I emailed Dr. Vandeveer and he very graciously said, hey, come see me on Monday and let's get down to the bottom of what's going on with you. Before you transition into what happened next, can you pause for a second and for the listeners, can you tell them a little more specifically about where the pain was located? Did it go down a specific distribution in your arm? It absolutely did. It 
it was mimicking what we call in neurosurgery a C7 radiculopathy. And what that means is it was going down the back of my arm and my tricep and then down the front of my arm and into my, to my index finger and middle finger. But also I couldn't raise up my arm without relentless pain, but also was extremely weak in my tricep and in my hand. And I was very clumsy with my hand. I was dropping things. I was very uncoordinated. And that was very difficult. And it was only in my left arm. I did not have any symptoms in my right arm. Wow. So you talked with Dr. Vanderveer and share his thoughts. Well, the very first thing he was looking at, some scans. He was looking at the recent MRI that I had had of my neck. And we weren't in an exam room yet. And he said, I want you to do something for me. And he said, I want you to hold your arm up. And he had me hold my arm up. And then he pulled my arm down and then pulled it back. Very similar way of which I would be if I was raising back to say like brush my hair or something like that. And then he pulled my arm down. And he held his hand on my wrist. And when he did that, he then gave me this look and he said, we've got a problem. And he kind of pointed to the exam room and had me go in there. So we went in the exam room and he looked at me and he said, you don't have a pulse in your arm. And so I was pretty concerned at that point. He said, yeah, when I move your arm that way, you have no pulse in your arm. And so he said, you absolutely have something pinching on a blood vessel in your neck and you have thoracic outlet syndrome. He said, but we have to figure out where this is being pinched. So he further examined me and determined that I was weak in my tricep. I was also weak in my hand. And then I, he further examined me and said that he was concerned that I was weak in multiple distributions of my arm. And so he immediately ordered a brachial plexus MRI scan because he wanted to see what was being compressed. But at that point, he also said, you know, we don't have any other option here. He said, with you not having a pulse in your arm, when you move your arm, we absolutely have to figure out where it's being pinched and then fix it. Yeah, and that's where I remember you having the discussion with me where he told me he kind of sat down and went through everything that had already been imaged, the CTs and the MRIs, and, and lo and behold, discovered kind of the structure that was compressing the what we call neurovascular bundle or nerve artery complex. Is that not correct, kind of what happened? Yes, that is correct. So ultimately, for the listeners, share with them what was the resolution here? So the resolution was Dr. Vandeveer then on December 13th, 2018, did a surgery where he went in through the front of my neck and made an eight-inch incision. And the surgery is called a first rib resection with a brachial plexus exploration. And basically, what he had to do for the surgery was go in and remove what was compressing uh, not only the nerves, but also the blood vessel to my arm. 
And it's just an amazing story, Emily. I remember when I originally saw you, we were all thinking neck, 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 but then the treatments just weren't kind of lining up with the expected results. So, and then how are you doing now at this point? I'm doing great. I mean, I did have to go back and see Jay for a little bit of physical therapy this spring. Like I said, Jay is my go-to when I'm having a problem. I always circle back with him because he's helped me so much in the past with everything. And, and he helps me to understand you know, what is muscular and what is nerve related. And I think too, when you've had a condition that chronically affects your body, when you're under stress, immediately that part of your body tends to act up, you know, and I was trying to homeschool my kids and keep working through the pandemic and everything that we're going through and a lot more screen time with the kids, with the homeschool and everything. My arm flared up a little bit and I got in with Jay and had to get back on track with doing my exercises. But overall, I could not be more happy about how I'm doing. I'm doing everything that I want to do, everything that I love to do, being a mother, coaching my girls in softball, and picked up a new sport this season, been wake surfing. And our family's having a great time doing that. And you know, looking back a year and a half ago, I never would have been able to do that had I known, you know, what was going on. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing story. I really appreciate you uh, kind of opening up and sharing your story so others can benefit. We covered a lot there, and I want to kind of break that down a little bit with Jay, transitioning more about thoracic outlet in general. Jay, can you go ahead and just educate listeners? Let's start very simple here. What is the thoracic outlet? Thoracic outlet is the area around the neck. It starts above the clavicle and it also covers the arm. It's a path where the nerve root and the blood vessels and the vein pass through to enter the shoulder and arm. It's a situation where people have trouble with tightness around these structures, what we call as extrinsic factors, where the people's occupational demands or position which they are using their arm to throw a baseball repeatedly and cumulatively causes internal changes in the arteries and veins and also most importantly the nerve which causes inflammation and causes problem of tingling, numbness, pain and weakness and when they are associated with vascular changes patients have changes associated with decreased circulation and also hands feeling cold and sometimes getting very cyanotic. Yeah, so cyanotic blue fingers. Yes. Yeah, now you mentioned some occupational risk factors. What do you think was an occupational risk factor for Emily? I think, let me talk about in general and then I come to Emily. Um, Yeah. So occupational risk factors where people have to work for long hours in awkward positions where their head is forward and their shoulders are rounded and upper back hunched over as in thoracic kyphosis, it creates tightness and contracture of some of the neck muscles and weakness of the deeper intrinsic neck muscles. So also working with their arm overhead position or reaching above 90 degrees causes all these vascular changes. So in case of a baseball pitcher pitching 90 miles hour pitches or 80 miles hour pitches where his arm is kind of swung sideways 
and maximally rotated to throw pitches at high velocity repeatedly can cause these changes. And in Emily's situation, I think her occupational demands of doing a lot of surgeries and working in that awkward position, her posture was good. But when she worked for long hours, I'm not there with her. But I think what she tells me was that she had to stoop over and bend over and reach in a forward bend position that caused a lot of the problems. Could be. You agree with that, Emily? I do. And another thing I think that stems back to this is when I was 20 years old, I had a bad whiplash injury. And so it's hard to know looking back because that was a long time ago. But a whiplash injury can certainly bring this condition on. Yeah. So you had, you were kind of set up. Your cervical spine had already gone through some challenges to begin with. Jay, for the average listener who doesn't have a medical background, can you kind of just review some of the important anatomical structures that can lead to thoracic outlet syndrome? Or, you know, another way to think about this is thoracic outlet syndrome is a compression phenomenon where you're getting compression of nerves and or blood vessels. So what are some of the major suspects here that we have to be on the lookout for? Very good point, Dr. Lakia. And I also want to interject a little bit earlier that many cases of thoracic outlet syndrome, especially in athletes and young adults, there is always a predisposing injury possible. There are some congenital anomalies like a cervical rib, but also people who had a clavicle fracture or a malunion of clavicle fracture or previous neck injuries can be a good factor. And moving forward, talking about what the anatomical structures that are involved in the thoracic outlet syndrome, definitely the first rib, which lies underneath the clavicle and the muscles attaching to the first rib are are your scalene, anterior scalene and middle scalenes are significantly involved. The common site is where these muscles lie in close proximity. They attach to the sides of the neck and in between them comes the brachial, lower part of the brachial plexus and also the blood vessels coming through it. So in terms of athletes who do a lot of heavy lifting training and swimmers, especially these muscles can be hypertrophied or become significantly thick and compromising the space through which the nerve and blood vessels come through. Or in many patients' population, I think there is also a situation where they have spasm of these muscles or irritation of the nerve ending causes more spasm of these muscles and vice versa, because of the spasm of the muscles, the muscles in turn compressing on the nerve, causing this kind of situation. Yeah. So just another way to say that the strap muscles of the neck attach somewhat to that first rib. And when these muscles get tight or contract or compressed over time, I think it can elevate that first rib and for lack of better term, kind of pinch the lower part of the brachial plexus, which is the big group of nerves that kind of go through there. And, you know, honestly, I, I kind of feel like when I've looked at this topic before that we should be calling it the thoracic inlet and not the thoracic outlet based upon how the structures kind of dive into that area and go down your arm. But that's kind of semantics, I guess. You know, as a physical therapist, so Emily touched on something. I think that's important that if you're out there listening and struggling with pain going down your arm and you can't find a cause, you know, I myself, I remember seeing her and doing the nerve test. And my initial thought was that it could be a cervical radiculopathy or a pinched nerve in the neck. So I kind of missed it at first. 
So as a physical therapist, what are your suggestions for patients and even clinicians who are listening on how to decipher between a pinched nerve in the neck, i.e. a cervical radiculopathy versus a thoracic outlet syndrome? That's always a challenge because many times the C7 radiculopathy mimics the symptoms of thoracic outlet syndrome and the diagnosis is very difficult unless you have a provocation test of the vascular structures that can, if it is significantly positive, then you can prove it's a thoracic outlet syndrome. And in many situations, some of these tests have a false positive. That means that its test is positive, but patients are not having thoracic outlet syndrome situations. So the common test that I use in clinically for both radiculopathy and thoracic outlet syndrome is putting the nerve center tension, the upper limb neural tension test, where we, in a graded manner, put the brachial plexus and then the peripheral nerve under tension and then compare it to the other arm. And many times that's positive and also tapping along the brachial plexus proximally around the neck, it usually reproduces the symptoms. And invariably, many of these people have an elevated first rib as you alluded to earlier. So it's a comprehensive evaluation and putting all the small pieces together will come to a conclusion, but still it's a very challenging diagnosis to make. And many times the nerve conduction studies and all those are negative. That is correct. That was a situation for Emily. You can at times see some changes on the EMG and nerve conduction involving the lower trunk of the plexus, but it doesn't always show up. Now, Emily, your resolution, essentially you had the rib removed, correct? I did. I actually had two, I had the full rib removed at my extra cervical rib that was found, but also I believe about three quarters of the first rib was also removed. And the reason that happened was Dr. Vandeveer said later that there was a bone spur coming off of that area. And he said that it was extremely narrowed. And there's actually two different approaches that can be done for this type of surgery. One where you can go in through the armpit, which is the transaxial, but he does it from the front. And I think for me, had it not been done that way, I may not have had such a positive outcome because that bone spur was actually not identified on the MRI scan of the brachial plexus, but was found intraoperatively. He said that that was the main reason why I had so much weakness in my arm was because I had the C7 radicular pain, but I had a C8 weakness. And that was the component that he could not explain by my imaging studies. And so intraoperatively found this extra bone spur, so had to take off additional bone. And it was extremely tight in there. And they had to retract significantly on the nerve, you know, during the surgery. But ultimately, the outcome was great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And fortunately, I would say majority of patients who have thoracic outlet syndrome never get to that point and can find improvement and resolution even mostly through physical therapy interventions. So Jay, I want to transition back to your input here. If you have a patient that you're evaluating and you've put them through your nerve tension test and you've looked at their circulation and concluded that they have 
let's say, a neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome or a nerve-related syndrome, what is kind of your mental model for approaching these patients on how to get them better? Generally, it depends on what stage of inflammation the patients are coming in. Sometimes patients might have had symptoms for six to eight months, and they have gone through several places for therapy and other medical management. Their condition is as a plateaued. It's not improved, but they still have, and there are a lot of things they cannot function. I would probably treat them very differently when somebody presents with acute symptoms where their nerve irritation is significant. They are not able to function. They have to keep the arm by the side. Even sleeping is disturbed. We try to assess them based on the clinical presentation they present with. I usually follow a guideline of treating the severity of the symptoms and irritability of the nerve and also the nature of the dysfunction. So if clinically they're present with a lot of pain-dominant symptoms, I try to manage the pain first by teaching them postures or positions that will alleviate their symptoms And also, from their history, they'll give me details of what activity, unknown to them, they may be doing things to keep on aggravating the pain so that they're repeatedly performing the same movement that provokes their symptoms. Unless they avoid or minimize or stop, they will be inflaming their nerve tissue significantly. So in a baseball pitcher, it could be stopping from playing in an industrial worker who has to do a lot of overhead activities, telling them to avoid doing those, and also trying to teach them about good posture so that we are trying to minimize their initial symptoms. And moving forward, I also try to work with them about educating them about the condition they're in and what activities they need to do. I do use a lot of manual therapy to treat that first rib and also the sternal area where it attaches, treating the scalenes with manual therapy or dry needling, and also treating the whole upper thoracic ring as one unit, trying to normalize the range of motion. So if the extrinsic factors are causing them more compression, tightness, stiffness in the muscles, so we are trying to minimize the stiffness and tightness in the muscles, improve the joint mobility, So the container through which the nerve passes will have more mobility and stay relaxed. So our job at the initial stage is to manage pain and gently start them with exercises. Most of the chronic situation, due to postural dysfunctions, patients tend to have lower trapezius weakness. So we also work on strengthening the lower trapezius muscles and also teach them stretching exercises for the scalenes and upper trapezius. That's pretty comprehensive. Uh, Emily, are are you still committed to or having to go through these types of home exercises on a routine basis or a maintenance basis? Yes, and I would say sometimes I'm more diligent than others. I went through extensive physical therapy after my surgery. I had some nerve pain, uh, quite a bit of nerve pain afterwards due to the retraction on the nerve. Afterwards, so Jay was great about working with me through the pain and teaching me some different things. And then rebuilding the strength in my arm. I'm an avid swimmer. I love the water. It's good therapy for me. But I know, too, that swimming can aggravate this condition. So I've definitely had to do some modified approaches with my swimming. I do a lot of backstroke where I just use my legs and not my arms. 
But also when I went back in to CJ this past spring, re-engaged a lot of the exercises. And I probably do my physical therapy exercises about five days a week. And on the other days, I try and be pretty active with other things. That puts you in the 95th percentile of compliance, Emily. So you should feel really good. Well, I try because I tell my (laughs) patients, like you brush your hair and brush your teeth, you got to do your PT exercises. So I am a huge proponent and advocate of physical therapy. Jay, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you graciously sent me a presentation you put together on this topic. You mentioned in your presentation the potential influence of breathing patterns on thoracic outlet syndrome. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I think breathing is very, very important. And uh, if I may also add on what Emily said, I think that getting the patient to agree with the plan, because Emily at that point had a little pain like she was mentioning, and she went along and she was 100% cooperative and she did all her exercise very diligently. And initially she had a little bit of pain, but she put up with the pain for the greater good at the end And I would have to say that she worked really hard in a rehab and she became very strong. And I think she is a lot stronger than how she is even compared to before surgery. Thank you, Emily. Moving forward to the breathing exercise, I think it's a very important component. As I said earlier on, most of these patients that I see present with forward head, rounded shoulders, and increased thoracic kyphosis, and the scalenes are also accessory muscles of breathing and respiration. So what I try to emphasize is on diaphragmatic breathing, and uh, we spend a lot of time trying to work on educating them diaphragmatic breathing on a regular basis. We also work on the lower costal rib area to release those tightness in those areas so that they'll have a proper diaphragm excursion. So and also teaching them the difference between normal diaphragmatic breathing and uh, upper thoracic epical breathing and how to differentiate between the two So we emphasize a lot on diaphragmatic breathing to minimize their symptoms. Diaphragmatic breathing would involve if you take a deep breath and you kind of have your hands on your lower abdominal area. Yes, you had a good point. So I actually have the patient cup their hand and place it on the lower abdomen and try to have them breathe into their hand, also emphasizing on the lower lateral costal breathing so that they are using lower ribs to expand laterally in sideways direction and not just fill air in their stomach. And we try to differentiate that to have a proper diaphragmatic breathing. Excellent. Well, I think that's a very good kind of summary from different angles of this condition. My experience has been, I typically think about thoracic outlet syndrome when I have patients for which the cervical spine workup is negative and they have persistent what we call paresthesias or numbness and tingling down the arm into the hands, sometimes even into the middle finger, ring finger distribution area. And you know, we touched on earlier, the biggest element that in retrospect for me should have had me thinking about this for Emily are the occupational hazards or occupational risk factors. So I'm highly suspicious now when I see dental hygienists or dentists or people who are on their computers, their devices, long periods of time, and you see the rounded shoulder posture, tightness in the chest muscles. I think this whole workplace syndrome now where everything's at a frontal plane for us is creating a wide 
variety of problems, thoracic outlet syndrome, carpal tunnel syndrome, ulnar neuropathies. I think you can find the root to a lot of this and just how we go about our day-to-day life. Would you agree with that, Jay? Absolutely. What do you think would be, uh, you know, Emily mentioned swimming, which is very interesting. I know the concern there would be the repetitive kind of overhead motion with like freestyle swimming stroke. What do you think would be an ideal exercise if someone says, hey, look, I have an occupation that puts me in that compromised position, but I don't have any symptoms now and I want to prevent it from happening? Would you say swimming or a yoga or Pilates? What's a good activity that you can get started with to make sure you have good posture and decreased tension in your neck and shoulders? I think a lot of the swimmers who develop thoracic outlet syndrome is because of the number of the hours they put into swimming. Sometimes it could be a combination of fatigue and poor technique. So I try to have them minimize the combination of breathing through the mouth and turning their head to rotate in freestyle. I try to have them use a snorkel. Some patients are eager to adapt that temporarily to alleviate the symptoms, and then they work with a swim coach to clean their technique. So that's one modification. And Emily's modification was adopting backstroke. So that's another option. And when we and they come to therapy, we also work with them on trying to loosen the scalenes and working on the upper thoracic extension and releasing the tightness from the pec minor and pectoralis muscles that also allows them to have a better freedom of range of motion so that they have a swim with a good form. And other, as you alluded, other forms of independent gym exercises like Pilates and yoga are good. I can't think of any specific type of yoga that would be counterproductive to this. Yeah, so the movement is in general really good with some slight modifications that you suggested. Okay, well, I just want to... Yeah, go ahead. One thing that I have found to be extremely helpful for me, because a lot of my life is forward with kids and softball and assisting with surgery and computers, is the foam roll. And that's something that's used a lot in physical therapy. So many days when I get home from work or after exercise, I'll go lay on the foam roll and do some different exercises to help keep my shoulders back. And that, I think, for me, has been extremely effective. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I have one at home as well. Use it routinely. I've worked with Jay. He would tell you I probably don't use it enough. But that's a very inexpensive tool that a lot of people could adopt and use it for the better. Well, I want to just kind of open the floor for any last comments that you guys have. Emily, anything else you want to share from a kind of hybrid clinician-patient perspective on your experience dealing with thoracic outlet syndrome? Well, I think it's important that when we're dealing with the spine that we also look outside the box of the spine because I think when we see patients day in and day out for neck and back issues, we also have to think about some other conditions that can mimic those. I think that's where physical therapy plays such a huge role in what we do because we can do different images of the spine and different nerve tests, but also with the different techniques that are used in therapy, a lot of patients can get better with therapy. And, you know, before I was diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome, I saw Jay for five years off and on just to kind of keep my arm at bay. And 
looking back at that, I probably had the neurogenic component of thoracic outlet for that time. I mean, I spent countless nights not sleeping because of nerve pain in my arm. But I think what pushed me over the edge was when the vascular structures became compressed. And that's when my body said enough was enough. And I think it's super important that we listen to our body, that we listen to our healthcare professionals, we listen to our physical therapists, and we have to answer each piece of the puzzle as it comes and not give up on if a scan looks normal, it doesn't mean that nothing is wrong. That's a great bit of advice. I know many times you you can have a patient come in or, or I've seen someone and I tell them your scan is normal, but that doesn't mean everything is fine. And I want people to understand that it doesn't necessarily mean we think nothing's wrong with the individual. You know, So you really pushed and advocated for your health. And it's such a blessing that you got to see Dr. Vanderveer as well. And he's able to take care of the problem for you. Jay, any, any last thoughts you want to share from your perspective on the condition? I think you got it covered uh, very well, uh, Dr. Lakia. And Emily, I think, narrated her experience and her hard work in getting better. I think we all got it covered. Thank you, Dr. Fantastic. Yeah. Before we leave, I always like to ask my interviewees to share maybe one or two health tips that they've adopted into their daily lives that the listeners could consider or, or at least learn from. So, you know, I've always shared that I do a fair amount of meditation and, and exercise. Uh, Jay, what's kind of your one or two go-tos to keep yourself healthy? I try to do regular yoga and I also incorporate my family into doing a little bit of yoga, conditioning classes, and trying to all eat healthy together. Because unless you incorporate your community, the success is not going to be as good. So I try to incorporate my daughters and my wife into all the physical activities we do together. It's a great tip. It's never been brought up, but there's actually good research that we are healthier when we involve a community versus trying to do it on our on our own. So thanks for sharing that. Emily, how about from your side? I, I know you're really into nutrition and exercise and what, what's kind of your go-to? Well, my go-to is definitely nutrition and exercise. And I think the two go hand in hand. If I don't eat healthy, then I don't want to exercise. And when I first started having the arm pain again, five years ago, I really adopted more of a clean eating and healthy lifestyle through eating more of an anti-inflammatory based diet. And I think that has been huge for my body. I've been an athlete my entire life, and so I have always exercised, but I think it's important too, especially as we age, that we exercise in the right way. So when I had started swimming after my neck surgeries, I was hoping to not do as much wear and tear with running, so I thought swimming would be the the best way to go through with that. So I think it's just important to control what we can control, and I think In our life, I couldn't control the fact that I had an extra rib in my neck, but I can control the fact that I can try and eat healthy and exercise. And so I think for me, it's more of a mindset of of what I can control is what I put in my body and how I move my body in a healthy way to, to stay as healthy as I can be. That's music to my ears, Emily. I I love it. That is, you know, control what's in front of you and 
not really focus on things that are out of our control, lower your stress and eat well. And I think you hope for the best after that. So guys, I really appreciate your time today. I think we took a very complex topic and put a real personal spin on it and kind of broke down the rehabilitative approach, hopefully in a way that if there's someone listening today with similar symptoms could understand it and also provide them with a little hope that if you're out there and you're struggling with a condition like thoracic outlet syndrome, don't give up. Talk to your clinicians. If you're local, come see us at Carolina Surgery and Spine and keep pushing. Find a very knowledgeable physical therapist and you know, take Emily's lesson. Don't give up on your health. There's light at the end of the tunnel. So Emily and Jay, thank you for your time today. Thank you, thank Dr. You, Dr. Lockyer. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.